Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, Episode 33 of Bruins Beat brought to you by CLNS Radio. I'm Mike, joined, along, joined alongside Jason as always. And we have a special guest on the show today, Jimmy Murphy of Dirty Water Media. And he also covered the Bruins before for ESPN Boston. Jimmy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Really well. Good. Really well, Jimmy. I'm, I appreciate you coming on again. Um, it's been a quite some time before, since we had a guest on the show. Uh, before we get into all the, you know, Stanley Cup and the Bruins, Bruins stuff for the offseason, I want to ask you anything that you have in mind about Gordie Howe. Obviously, Mr. Hockey passed away this week. It's been a sensitive subject for, obviously, all the hockey world because Mr. Hockey passed away. And I remember myself growing up playing hockey. Everyone was always fascinated with the Gordie Howe hat trick, even though when you're growing up in youth hockey, you don't obviously fight. But everyone was like, oh, the Gordie Howe hat trick, the Gordie Howe hat trick. I didn't know if you had any special memories of Gordie Howe that you wanted to get out before we start the show. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't have, I never got the, the chance to, to meet Gordie Howe, but I mean, obviously I, I, I've encountered plenty of people that have been blessed by his presence and, uh, I've been listening to a lot of stories over the last, uh, you know, 48 hours or so and, and just really enjoying every single one of them. And, uh, it just shows you, I mean, the stories you continue to see and the way his life is being celebrated, um, just shows you what an effect he uh, he had on the hockey world. But, I mean, I just, you know, from everything I've read, uh, it, it just seems to me like, you know, it, it was interesting um, that it's all happened around the same time as Muhammad Ali passing as well. And, you know, we don't get to see as many athletes. I, you know, I, I, I posed this question on the Dirty Water Sports Show the other night. I said, who would be an athlete of this generation or even of my generation um, that if God forbid they were to pass away or something, that they would be remembered, say, the way Gordie Howe or Muhammad Ali was, where they sort of transcended the sport into society and became such a, a big part of their community and also just uh, the community in general within North America. Um, and I can't think of anybody right now. So it just shows you how amazing a presence this guy was. I mean, obviously a big presence physically, but he was a big presence figuratively as well. Yeah, I think it's fascinating to see when you hear Wayne Gretzky talking about, obviously Wayne Gretzky's considered one of the best players in hockey, and Wayne Gretzky's saying that Gordie Howe is the best player he's ever seen play. And everyone, even like Mike Madonna was saying he wore number nine because of Gordie Howe. And it's just fascinating to see how much, like you said, Gordie Howe influenced the sport of hockey. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I mean, you, you listen to some of the, the people, like you say, you referenced Wayne Gretzky there, and you, you just listen to some of the other athletes that have, uh, you know, spoken out about him uh, in the last 48 hours and, and told their stories about their encounters with him. And, 
they all sound like, you know, awestruck uh, sports fans like all of us and uh, would be if we ever met a guy like that or got to sit with him and listen to a story. So, you know, it, it's great. I mean, I, I was lucky enough uh, as I was coming up the ranks as a reporter to uh, sit next to uh, Hall of Fame hockey writer Russ Conway in the press box in Boston a lot. And uh, he, he had plenty of Gordy House stories for me that he'd tell me over the years. And uh, he's been texting me a few uh, in the last day or so. That's unbelievable to hear. Gordy Howe obviously is a legend in hockey. Uh, there's been talks about, you know, with Gary Bettman about retiring his number, uh, hockey, in the hockey hockey wide, pretty much. So like, kind of like how Jackie Robinson has his number retired in baseball. People have been talking about that. But aside from that, obviously Gordy Howe is a legend. But uh, Jimmy, I want to ask you. Obviously, the Stanley Cup's going on right now. It's supposed to be Game Six in San Jose right now, and I wanted to ask you. What are your thoughts on the Stanley Cup right now? Obviously, Pittsburgh seems to have the upper hand right now. I mean, they're up two. There seems to be a problem for San Jose. Uh, the last game was the first game. The Sharks have led the entire series. I wanted to get your thoughts on the, what you think about the Stanley Cup Finals so far. Um, you know, I was really shocked that they went into Game Five with uh, Pittsburgh went into Game Five with a chance to clinch. I mean, when this series. Uh, you know, developed. And when we found out it was going to be the Sharks versus the Penguins, I, I really expected a neck and neck, uh, back and forth, you know, uh, heavyweight battle um, where we would, uh, we would see these guys easily go six or seven games. And I mean, yeah, we're, we're in game six now as expected, but uh, as you pointed out there, I mean, up until the last game, it's really been, excuse me, the Penguins who have dominated this series, except on the scoreboard. And I, I think that right now, to me, is the key of why San Jose was able to uh, to come out and execute their game plan and play their game the other night so so much better than they had is because they hadn't done it yet. And I, I think that they realized, um, I'm sure just as Pittsburgh did, that, you know what, we haven't seen the best of the San Jose Sharks yet. And I think, yeah, there was a question going into game five as to whether the best of the San Jose Sharks could come out against this Penguins team and, and – just the way they were motoring along, um, but they did. And I think that's going to play a huge role. I think now that they know that they can be themselves and go out and, you know, really play on their strengths, which is cycling the puck down low and uh, and having a good breakout, uh, you know, system there. And they were able to do that uh, consistently the other night. Uh, yeah, Martin Jones really saved their hide, and, and Pittsburgh did play a good game, and, and put a lot of pressure on, but at the same time, I, I think that the confidence is there now that San Jose didn't have before. And I think this thing is going back to Pittsburgh, and I'm going on record as right now saying that the Sharks are going to shock the world and, and win the Cup in Pittsburgh. Hey, just to follow up on that, what are your thoughts on Martin Jones and the way he's played this series? All right, he's been in, out of this world. You know, I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's kind of tough for Bruins fans to watch. Uh, yeah. It's such a fabulous four-day career in Boston, right? But, uh, you know, I mean, don't you don't you wish it happened the other way around? Yeah, well, you know, the one thing I just don't get is, look, I, am, I, am I surprised at how great he's been? Yes, but in terms of overall, am I surprised that he's been able to do it on a consistent basis and and really be a legit number one? No, I'm not. And I mean, anyone that watches hockey, whether you're a fan or a scout or a GM, if you watch carefully and you do your due diligence, uh, you knew that Martin Jones was a you know, an eventual number one goalie that was going to be able to carry a team. And he was what the San Jose Sharks were missing over the last few years. Um, you know, and, and 
it's tough. I mean, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but I mean, the fact that this guy was playing so much in the Bruins backyard up in Manchester for the Monarchs, Monarchs when they were the AHL affiliate there uh, for the Kings, and then to just turn around and I get you had a plan and I get what you were trying to do and uh, replenish your uh, your system and, and add as many top-notch prospects as you could, but I just think maybe there should have been a little more research done there when they uh, they got Martin Jones because I think he could really help the Bruins uh, going forward, uh, especially with the way things have gone for Tuka Rask lately. But you know what? Hindsight's twenty twenty. And back to your original question. No, I'm not. I'm surprised at how amazing he was the other night. I mean, I, I really think he was on another level. He looked like Bill Ranford back in the day in the '90 Finals. I'm showing my age there, but I, I, I think that. Uh, you know, overall, this this kid has proven time and time again that he is a, num- a number one goalie in the NHL. On, on the other side of that, what do you views on uh, Matt Murray? I think Matt Murray's been sensational. I think if if Pittsburgh is able to close out tonight, too, I, I, I really see him as a, a top candidate for the Conn Smythe, regardless of what happened the other night. I know people have been saying he's been letting in a few softies here and here, but let's face it, I mean, no... Who, who had Matt Murray being the starting goalie heading into game six of the Stanley Cup Finals, right? So, you know, let's give credit where it's due, and I think this kid has been one of the main reasons that the Pittsburgh Penguins are where they are. Um, I, I think that, you know, like any young goalie, he maybe uh, reveals his weak spots a little more than a, than a veteran does, so to speak, and, and, that, and the Sharks are able to capitalize on that in the last couple of games. But at the same time, I, I don't think by any means was he to blame uh, for the loss the other night. No, uh, I Jimmy, agree with that completely. And Jimmy, sorry, Jimmy, Mike, do you want to continue? Yes, Jason, uh, Jimmy, you mentioned that obviously it's tough to swallow for Bruins fans about Martin Jones. And there's been a lot of uh, articles and stuff talked about about Joe Thornton and Phil Kessel playing obviously in the Stanley Cup Finals right now. Phil Kessel's been sensational for the Penguins. But everyone's bringing up, oh, how the Bruins regret trading Thornton, how they regret trading Kessel. And I think that's way overblown because the Bruins have won a cup. And I want to just get your thoughts on that. Like, how do you feel about Thornton and Kessel battling for the cup? And obviously, in Bruins fans, Bruins fans' perspective, everyone's like, "Oh, like Kessel, Thornton." I don't, I don't. I think it's overblown. What I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, look, let's start with Joe Thornton. Uh, that is so, you know, long ago. We're talking uh, come November. It's going to be ten years. Excuse me. It was. Uh, it was ten years. Excuse me. And. Um, in this past November. So, I mean, come this November, it's going to be 11 years. And, you know, can we go back and look at that? I mean, that's a debate that can go on forever, right? Uh, I'm a, I was and I always will be on the side of they rushed that trade and uh, they made him a scapegoat and uh, they should have never put the C on him. And he, he just – obviously, that he's shown again that, that he's just not that type of player. But that doesn't mean he's a bad player. That doesn't mean he can't help your team and be one of the best players in the league. And – I, I think that Joe Thornton's proven that over time, and he he's had a great rebound season this year, and it's one of the main reasons the Sharks are where they are. Um, I, I think that, though, if you want to look at the two trades and really come down hard on the Bruins for one of them, you have to come down hard on the Joe Thornton one. Because if you look at the Phil Kessel trade and then what they were able to get out of that. I believe, trade, that, I believe that trade was a home run. Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing home run. Now, that being said... What they've done with that home run since, uh, you know, is ridiculous. I mean, now they have nothing to show for it, and that's just called poor asset management. And, I mean, if we want to link the two in any way, well, there you go. That's the problem there, poor asset management. If they had gone out and got, you know, 
apparently, I mean, from a lot of sources I spoke to, and I, I've seen other writers write about it, you know, back in the Joe Thornton trade uh, period, uh, you know, they could have, if they wanted, gotten Jay Bowmeister and Roberto Luongo in a draft pick, which could have turned into, which then turned into Nathan Horton. So you could have had Nathan Horton, Jay Bowmeister, and Roberto Luongo for Joe Thornton instead of Wayne Primo, uh, Brad Stewart, and Marco Stern. Um, so, you know, if you want to blast a trade, then that's fine. But the problem, I think, both, I'd say, trades show directly and indirectly, okay, the Thornton trade directly with the way it was handled and, and the, what they got back, and then the Kessel trade indirectly with what they've done with the great assets that they got back since then and, and peddled them off and not got much return, shows you a consistent problem in the Bruins organization. And, and you know, it, it doesn't matter that either of these guys go, go, go off and win the Stanley Cup. What matters is that there's a consistent problem of asset management and scouting both at the amateur and pro levels within the Boston Bruins. And this has gone on for a long, long time. And there's a, there's a lot of rushes to judgment. I mean, look at the Tyler Sagan trade. I am of the, you know, party that thinks that Tyler Sagan needed to in the hasty manner that he was. I, I think that, you know, just like Thornton, they didn't take their time. They didn't have an auction. They didn't really look at all their options out there uh, and, and get the best possible return. So, I, I think that that's something if, that if people want to complain right now and if, if that's really a thorn in their side right now, that's what they need to look at right now is look at how the Bruins have managed their assets both when they make a huge trade or after they make that huge trade. That's a great point there. Great point. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Joe Pavelski has been pretty quiet this Stanley Cup Finals. Do you think he's pressing too much or do you think that a lot of pressure is you know, required of him? I know obviously – Pavelski's been great for, like, pretty much predominantly the whole playoffs, and obviously he's struggling now. You think he's putting too much pressure on himself right now? No, I don't think so. I, I think what's going on there, guys, and it's really been a surprise to me because I, I didn't, you know, look at the Pittsburgh defense as the type of defense that could really clog up uh, the area in front and really clog up the, the lanes to the net. I didn't see them that way, you know, and they, they really didn't play that way throughout the season, even for the first half of this playoff run. But for some, you know, I don't know how he did it, but Mike Sullivan and his coaching staff have really figured out a way uh, to really make it impossible for Joe Pavelski to do what he does best, and that's tip a puck in front. I mean, he is probably, in the last 10 years, one of, if not the best guys at tipping pucks in front and getting rebounds and just really being in those, those traffic areas or those dirty areas, as we like to say in hockey. And those areas aren't open right now. They're not there for the taking. And, and I don't really look at it as Joe Pavelski pressuring himself or him not living up to expectations. I just credit the Pittsburgh defense and their game plan for an amazing job. And I wanted to follow up that question because I was thinking this before Mike asked the question about Phil Castle and Joe Thornton. What are your views on the goaltenders that are getting paid more than $7 million? compared to the goaltenders that you're seeing in the NHL playoffs right now? Um, I mean, that's easy to say when it happens, right, guys? But how many of us, you know, if we sat down at the beginning of this year, okay, you know, just to, I'm sure GMs and scouts would say the same thing. I mean, if we sat down at the beginning of the year and we ranked goalies and we would have picked guys who were going to be playing – right now still we're going to pick the final two goalies of the season in the Stanley Cup finals. I'm sorry. You're not you're not picking them. 
and it's just they've come out. They haven't come out of nowhere, but they're also not the guys that you think of when you think of elite talents in the NHL. Now that being said, they look like they're going on their way to becoming elite goalies in the NHL. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I don't blame a GM like uh, you know a Peter Chiarelli that gave the money he did to to Karask. But at the same time, it goes back to what I was saying about Martin Jones and scouting. It still wouldn't hurt to have a cheaper goalie that can play as a number one in your system or sitting on the bench. And that's what both of these teams had, and it's paid off. So I I think it just comes down to to scouting again. And I I think that, you know, going forward, does the mindset change? Yeah, I think it could. Um, But I don't necessarily think that, you know, there are a lot of GMs out there who knew something other GMs didn't. I still just think it all comes back to doing your due diligence. And some organizations do it, and some don't. And so do you think, you know, the average price for, for a goaltender should be about $7 million, or do you think a goaltender is worth about 4 or $5 million at most when you make those decisions as a GM? Well, I mean, it depends what team he's playing for, right? I mean, is, you know, the Arizona Coyotes going to be able to get by on a Martin Jones or a Matt Murray? I don't think Probably so. not. No. So it depends on the system in front of them. It depends on a lot of things. Um, I think going forward, though, goalies market value will go down just as every position is going to go down because uh, whether people want to believe it or not, the, the cap is at best going to stay flat. And, you know, with the expansion draft coming in likely, uh, teams are going to have to budget better. And I think goaltending goal will be a position just like every other position that they'll budget at. But let's face it, guys, when it comes down to it, it all starts from the goalie out. Have there been teams that have won the cup, like the 2010 Chicago Blackhawks with Miami, uh, that, you know, won it with a lesser goalie that caught fire at the right time and got the job, job done when it counted? Yes, they have been. All right? But that, to me, doesn't mean that you shouldn't invest a lot of in a goalie, and that doesn't mean that you should cut corners and think, you know what, we can get by with a second-tier goalie uh, and win the cup. It just doesn't happen that way all the time. It, it, it's, it's all circumstance. Then let's build off of this because it's a really good point. Do you think that the Bruins specifically can win with Tukaraska net if they can fix this team? Um, yes, but I, th- I don't think they will be able to. I, 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 just, I, I think that right now this team is, is in a conundrum within their organization right now. They're, they're caught in, in such a conflict of interest. And when I say that, I mean building towards the future and doing what's necessary to eventually have a contending team every season under the cap versus doing what's necessary to make your team uh, just good enough to make the playoffs every year. And unfortunately, the upper tiers of management, I think, are more concerned with the latter right now. And I think Don Sweeney really doesn't have the autonomy that they claim he does to go out and execute the plan that he has, because I know Don Sweeney is of the former and that he wants to really build from within, add the necessary parts as he goes along and and really build a team that can contend and survive economically. But unfortunately when it comes down to it, and you know what, you can't knock him a hundred percent because he's a great businessman. But when it comes down to it, Jeremy Jacobs doesn't care about that. If he gets his, you know, extra uh, $100 million he gets for making the first round of the playoffs, then he's going to get it. He, he's going to take that. It, it's, to him, 
winning the cup is great and all, and it's frosting on the cake, but making his financial goals is more important. And it's always going to be that way. And people say, well, he spends to the cap every year. Really? But how do, how do they spend to the cap? And go look at all the transactions they've made since they won the Stanley Cup and tell me that three-quarters of those weren't cost-cutting moves as opposed to hockey moves. So you think there's a power struggle right now? What's that? You think there's a power struggle right now between sweet uh, between the GM and the Jacobs? Struggle. I think that no, I don't think there's a power struggle. I, I, I think that Sweeney doesn't have the power he needs. I don't think it's a struggle at all. I think he understands that and he's accepted it. And you know what? Good for him. He's going to take this job and he's going to do the best he can under the circumstances and hopefully parlay it into a better job uh, with a different organization. If his uh, goal is to be the GM of a Cup-winning team, it's not going to happen here with the direction his team is going in right now and with the mindset at the top. And it all trickles down. And, you know, you look at what's going on in terms of uh, the way when they address the, the state of the team at the end of the season, go back and watch that press conference. And look how many times Cam Neely said the complete opposite of Charlie Jacobs or Jeremy. Go watch it and count it. And you're going to lose fingers. Count it. All right, because it, it was it was hilarious. If you really pay attention to every little detail they said, they are not on the same page. I mean, they're on the same page where Sweeney knows he has to do what his orders are, but they're not on the same page in terms of what their philosophies are. And I, I, I think we've kind of gone backwards in time here, and this is kind of like when I grew up around Boston in the 80s, where the Bruins were always just one or two players short of really being a contender. See, that's, real, that's really informative because me and Mike actually discussed the same thing on our show when it came to that nearly Jacob's end of the season conference. So we're all on the same page there. So what moves do you think that are possible that the Bruins can make even if they're just trying to get back in the playoffs, which it sounds that that's what they're really just trying to do is get back in the playoffs? Well, I mean, right now, if I was them, you know, like right now what they should be doing is targeting – number one defenseman and a number three defenseman via the trade market and using the assets that they've built up over the last couple of years, specifically last year to acquire those defensemen. But from what I hear, they're targeting more guys like uh, a Brian Campbell. If he's, if he doesn't come to terms with Florida, uh, you know, what is he 36 years old? Uh, in my eyes, pretty much washed up. I mean, if you saw, if you watched him carefully in that Islanders series, his play led directly to three goals. I mean, on that, that game tying goal uh, that sent the game to overtime, I believe it was in game six. I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, Campbell was purely at fault there. Uh, he's not the type of guy that the Bruins need right now. They've got enough guys that are prone to mistakes. They, if, they're, if you're thinking of bringing in a veteran guy that's going to help stabilize the younger parts of your defense and, and help minimize or hide the mistakes there, or even the older parts, and there's an anal char who's making more mistakes than he has throughout his career, and to me looks like he cannot be a number one defenseman anymore, you've got to bring in you know, a more dependable defenseman than Brian Campbell. And that's, that's what I've heard they're targeting right now. So uh, this is what I'm talking about. He's kind of like a a band-aid, so to speak, but I don't even think that band-aid is big enough to cover the wound. And the wound is that this defense is a turnover machine right now. Right. You, you, the- you mentioned, sorry, Jason, you mentioned the Bruins defense, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because 
They signed Adam McQuaid last year, and they just re-signed Kevin Miller, obviously, a few a few weeks ago. And I wanted to get your thoughts. Like you said, the Bruins' defense is obviously the biggest problem all season long. And I wanted to get your thoughts on what you think of the Kevin Miller signing. Like, what, what I, I ripped that signing. I think that signing is a, a terrible signing for the Bruins. I was going to get your thoughts on that. And what do you think about the Kevin Miller signing? Just on that or McQuaid, too? You can get both. McQuaid and Kevin well, Miller. I think, I, they're both, I think they're similar players. Well, you know what? I I agree and disagree. I mean, McQuaid's obviously got more experience. He has a Stanley Cup ring. He's been to two Stanley Cup finals. Uh, and that match's huge. Uh, I think McQuaid's worth the money. The only problem has been his health. Uh, and, you know... You could say, well, based on his track record of health, that the Bruins should have known that and not given him the contract he got. Uh, or you could just say, hey, it happens, right? And things happen, and it's out of our control, really. So you got to do what you got to do. I, 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 I'm all right with the Adam McQuaid signing when it was made, all right? But now, after a year of looking at, uh, at looking at your defense and, and really seeing what it's going to be like for the next three years, unless you're able to bring in that stud I, I referenced earlier, the Kevin, the Kevin Miller uh, signing makes no sense whatsoever. I'm with you. I mean, it, it, it's just asinine. You've got enough of those guys. Like you said, they are similar. So there's no need to – you've already got Adam McQuaid. There's no need to sign another Adam McQuaid. But I just want to clarify that I, I still don't think the Adam McQuaid signing was as horrible as everyone thinks. That's the market right now, unfortunately, for defensemen, even of, of his ilk. Um, you know, for a stay-at-home, greedy, tough leader like that, that's the market. People do pay for leadership and character. Unfortunately, the Bruins don't pay for it enough um, if you look at their roster right now. But I, I think you're right with Kevin, Kevin Miller that they – it just shouldn't be their focus right now. If they had gone out and made that trade, I'm sure Kevin Miller was still going to be there after their attempts to bring in – a more well-rounded, younger, um, you know, puck-moving type defenseman that's locked up. I, I really don't think Kevin Miller was going to fall off the market, guys, do you? I mean, I, I just didn't understand the rush to sign him there. I know my colleague Joe Haggerty uh, believes it was a, a plan to get Jimmy Vesey because they share the same agent. I, you know, with all respect to Joe, I'm, I'm just not buying that. I just think I think was, that's asinine. I, I think that's absolutely asinine. I, I, I just think it was bad scouting. I agree. I think it was bad scouting, guys. Again. I think it was horrible evaluation of what you have and what you need. This is not the downplay Kevin Miller as a player. He is what he is. But on a contending team, he's a number six. Likely a guy that rotates in as a number six one game and is up in the press box the next. That's what Kevin Miller is on a real contending team. Whereas now the Bruins – are going to use him as a top four like they did last year. And obviously his salary indicates that. I just don't get what the rush was to sign. I'm not saying they shouldn't have signed him. I'm saying you should have taken care of what your priorities are before you go and sign the secondary guys. That's all. And speaking of priorities, because you're bringing up a great point, in order to get that puck movement defenseman or that number one defenseman, the Bruins are going to have to give up somebody. Somebody's going to have to go. Who do you think any of those players will waive their no movement clauses, and if so, which players would do it? I I think if if David Krejci was not coming off the surgeries coming off right now, and um you know you found a contending team to take him, or maybe even a team that's uh you know 
in warm weather climate or, you know, an easy lifestyle, I, I think he'd wave it. I really do. I don't think David Krejci has ever really liked playing for Claude Julien. He's made it be known to, uh, to us a few times in the media. Uh, he hasn't directly said it, but he's very much hinted at it. Um, and I think he'd be a great tra- trade chip. But I know for a fact that trade chip is not a trade chip right now, and he's lost his value because, from what I'm told by very reliable sources, the Bruins tried to acquire Eric Goodrinson from Florida with David Krejci, and that didn't work. Uh, Florida looked at his contract. They looked at his, his injury situation, and they looked at his age, and they said, no, sorry, we're going to do better. And they got a heck of a package from Vancouver. So um, I, I think the problem is he he would have been a great asset at the deadline. I don't think he's as good an asset right now. Another guy I think they need to try and get rid of before the most you can get is a bag of pucks is the name of Char. Uh, I, I really just, you know, the time's come. And I don't think that's a guy necessarily that you can, you can do in the offseason. I think he's more of a deadline team. And if you came to him and you said, look, will you waive it for us to go to, uh, let's just say Chicago's contending for the Cup again next year. Chances are they probably will, right? And will you waive it for us to go to Chicago? I think he'd do it. I really do. I think another guy that you're going to look at as well as a trade chip, and you're going to laugh, but I think that you could get at least a second rounder for him is Chris Kelly. You find a contender, and if he comes back, he can prove that he can play still. You know, that's another guy that the Bruins, in terms of contracts, overvalued, but his value shouldn't be underrated. Like, this is a guy that can help a contending team if they utilize him right. I think the Bruins have a lot of players on this roster that if you utilize them right, they're really valuable. But when you're asking them to be something they're not, they're not. And that's the problem with the Bruins right now. But the great thing for the Boston Bruins going forward, if we're not looking at their current roster in terms of acquiring defensemen they need, is that in the eyes of a lot of GMs, guys, and a lot of people around the NHL, the Bruins have a great system. They have a lot of good young D-men that are, you know, still maybe three to five years away. They've got some good prospects at forward. Um, so they need to utilize that now. They need to either decide, you know, are we going to groom these guys and bring them up? Or are we going to take some of them and use them as trade chips at the draft? And it's going to be very interesting to see what Donnie Sweeney decides to do. But I, I think the Bruins will be an active team. But are they going to be active in acquiring what they exactly need? That's the biggest question. Do you think Tuka's name will come up as well? well I think Tuka's name comes up all the time. Do I think it's coming up more often now? Yeah, I do. I, I, I think that there's a lot of, I guess the word would be speculation. Uh, not just with the media, not just with fans. I think there's speculation amongst managers across the NHL as to what the Bruins' outlook is for Tuka Rask right now. I, I think what ha- – look, I, I like Tuka. I think he is an elite talent. I think that, you know, Patrick Waugh wasn't going wasn't gonna to make that team contend for the Cup behind that defense, you know. So I, I, I do not by any means blame Tuca. However, Tuca Verratt could have been a lot better than he was. And what happened at the end of the season, you know, I, I, I can't say everything I know, but let's just say that it left, it left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth with the new organization. And not just in terms of management and what do we do with this guy going forward. I'm talking about in terms of the teammates. 
I mean, it, it's it's not good when your season's on the line and your goalie shows up late on game day and is basically sitting on the throne the whole morning. To put it bluntly. Yeah, that definitely doesn't look good. But um, and, and, and look, uh, I wanna... if you had a stomach virus, that's fine. But from what I'm told, it wasn't enough heads up to the coaching staff and to management that, guys, I've been up all night with, with a heck of a stomach issue here. There's no way I'm sitting in full goalie equipment and playing an NHL game today. There's nothing wrong with that. If he called them at 6 in the morning and said that, and, you know, if it was a matter of him saying, I'm going to do everything I can to help my team, well, then still give them a heads up. Give them a heads up. Hey, listen, guys, I'm coming in. I'm going to need to go on an IV. I'm going to need to drink as much Gatorade as possible. I, I'm dehydrated. I, I'm not doing well, but I want to help you in any way I can. And you know what I'm, I'm guessing that they would have said? You know how you help us, Tuka? Stay home. Don't worry about it. We've got, uh, we got enough time now to call a guy up. I mean, guys, their, their backup was coming up. It was Jeremy Smith, right? He was coming wasn't up. He on 90, wasn't he on 95 when the game was? During warm-ups. During warm-ups. All right, so there's, there's a sour taste left in the mouth of a lot of people in an organization when it comes to Tuka Rask right now, and he's going to have to redeem himself. That's all I'm going to say. I totally agree about that. And uh, I wanted to ask you, you've been pretty critical of, obviously, uh, Cam Neely and Bruins management, and you've been a pretty big supporter of Claude Julian. And I want to get your thoughts on why do you think Claude Julian should stay as the Bruins coach? I mean, I thought the Bruins should have personally, I thought the Bruins should have fired him, and I thought that, past two years, obviously choking down the stretch. And I, I'm not solely blaming Claude Julian. As I've told Jason as well, I think Claude Julian is a good coach. I think he's a great coach. I just think the Bruins needed a change of change of pace, a new coach, a new voice to lead the team. But you've been pretty adamant about the Bruins keeping Claude Julian. I wanted to get your thoughts on why it was a good move for the Bruins to keep Claude Julian. Well, you know, the more I, I've done a lot of thinking about it since it happened, and, you know, I'm not necessarily – Still with the, the strong, I, I'm not as strong a believer of the fact that it was a good move for the Bruins, but I still think it was the right move because, like I said, Patrick Law wasn't going to win a cup or, or help that team contend with that defense, and neither was Scotty Bowman. You know, I don't care who you put behind the bench, what change of pace, what change of voice, what change of system you bring in, nothing was going to hide the fact that they had arguably the worst defense in the NHL. It's just that team, that defense was set up to fail. And and they can say it all they want, but their expectation, saying that their plan, using the word plan would kind of be maybe a little too strong, though I think that might have been the case, but their expectation was that they were going to be bad and that they were going to have to replace him mid-season. But the problem was, the great coach that he is, he came out and, you know, took a team that had no business being near playoff contention to within one point of the playoffs. Okay. And, and also, in a lot of writers' views, a lot of people that had a vote for the Jack Adams, if you were to give us a top 10, he was in there. If you were to give us a top five, he was likely in there. That's how good a coaching – Claude Julian's coaching job last year, in my eyes – in the eyes of many guys that have been around the NHL for a long time, 
Claude Julian's coaching job last year was the best he's had as a Boston Bruin. He was better coaching last year than he was in their Stanley Cup years. He was better coaching last year than when he won the Jackie Adams in 2009. What he did with that team, and, and let's factor in some of the injuries they dealt with too, is unreal. And it, to me, there was no justification to lay the blame on him and fire him. I'm glad that Don Sweeney was able to stand up to Neely and Jacobs and say, guys, this is on me. This is on us. This is not on Claude. He doesn't deserve this. And the other situation that nobody really talked about or nobody spoke about that really bugged me, and he didn't get enough credit for it, was that Don Sweeney in that closing press conference said that, look, Claude came to me and he said, I totally understand if you want to go in a different direction, I'm totally with it. But I want you to know that I want to stick around in a different capacity and help you get to where you need to be again, whether that's as a scout, whether that's as a consultant, whether that's as a management member. I want to stick around and do that. Now, this is a guy who, if he was fired, he knew, we all knew, everyone in the hockey world knew, that if he wanted within five minutes, he'd have another job. And I think yeah, I heard he was. I heard he was going to Ottawa. I heard Ottawa was the big, yeah. big job no, that he, he was could have gone to Ottawa. But do you understand what I'm saying? He told the Bruins, "I can go to Ottawa. I can maybe go to Vancouver. I can maybe go to Calgary if they open up. I can maybe go to Anaheim if that." He would have had all the options in the world. He knew that. His agent knew that. His family knew that. The Bruins knew that. Okay, and he still said, "Don, if you want to fire me, go right ahead." I'm not going to be angry at you. I get it. Like, like you just said to me before, man, Claude knows it too. Sometimes you just need a change of pace. Sometimes you need a different voice. And Claude said, I respect that. But I want to make it clear to you that I love the city of Boston. I love these kids that I've been helping the groom. And I want to continue to help them get to where they need to be in a different capacity. So the, the fact that he did that, I, I think you only had to keep him a little longer. No, I, I totally understand where you're coming from, but you look at some of the teams that were in the playoffs. You know, Philadelphia made the playoffs. They changed their coach last year. You had Pittsburgh fire their coach midseason. You have the Sharks in the finals, obviously, with Peter DeBoer. They changed coaches there. I just think a change of scenery would have been fine. I understand where you're coming from, though. Claude Julian has definitely been a great coach for Boston. I think he is a good coach. I, I, I heard from a source that he was going to Ottawa. That, that's why I mentioned Ottawa when you were talking about that, but – I no, I mean Ottawa. Made, I, I, no, Ottawa. Ottawa. I know for fact. I mean Ottawa made it made it known to his and his agent. If they fire you, the job's yours. And he said no. He said if they fire me, I'm still want to stay with Boston. Don't you think that loyalty should get some credit around here? I agree with that completely. Now that he plays into that perspective, and I can and, and really guys, respect them for keeping Julian. I'm not arguing that. that a midseason change can help. I'm not arguing that. But by that point, I think a change would have been rendered meaningless. It just, it was already gone. And, and like I said, you know, nobody was going to change the direction that this team was going in. Everyone keeps saying, oh, well, look at where we were before the trade deadline or right after. Yeah, but did anyone look at the schedule coming up after the trade deadline? I know I did, and I know I tweeted right then and there that they're going to go to the Bermuda Triangle, otherwise known as San Jose, Anaheim, and L.A., and I said they will go 0 for 3. And that's what they did. And they went into a spot. I predicted I predict that same thing. Ask Mike. I predicted they I'm would miss sorry, the playoffs guys, from that schedule. Mike Sullivan, with this Bruins roster, was not going to do what he did with this Pittsburgh Penguins roster. 
everybody can say, yeah, a new coach is needed, but the coach doesn't change the personnel. And the problem right now is the roster, not the coach, not Don Sweeney in my eyes either. The problem right now is the roster, Cam Neely, and the Jacobs. That, to me, is the main no, issue t- right now with the Boston Bruins. I, I totally agree the roster is not up to par, but no one was looking at Pittsburgh's defense and saying that was a Stanley Cup Finals defense. Yeah, they have this guy, though. This, this guy, where's number 87? Do the Bruins have a guy like that? I don't think they have a guy like that, guy but that I think... For, the same type of guy that wears 71 for Pittsburgh? Do the Bruins have the same guy that wears... Oh, they did have that guy that wears 19 for San Jose. Do they have a Logan Couture? No, they, they chose Zach Hamill in front of him. Oh, um, no, don't get me started about that, Pittsburgh? Jimmy. Don't get me started. <laughs> they have Martin Jones? <laughs> they should have had Martin Jones. Yes, I get your philosophy, but tell me how any coach was going to get that roster into the playoffs. That's, that's they weren't. Question. There was no Nobody coach that could do it. That. that roster wasn't good enough. And getting to that Bermuda Triangle, like you said, they didn't stand a chance. And now you know what they're doing. You look at what they did, bringing in Cassidy and Pendolfo. They're what are your thoughts on Cassidy? Once again saying, Claude, if you come out of the gate slow, Bruce is coming in, and that's it. And, and, and he's, he's already there. He's taking over. That, that, to me, signals once again they are setting him up to fail. And we're going to see, based on their moves, if I'm right. If they go and get a Brian Campbell-type player instead of a, you know, a Jacob Truber or a Sammy Vatnin, you know, if they go and get those type of players, then we know that their plan is to set Claude up to fail again. And it's going to be quite comical if he, if he pulls it off again and gets them within striking distance of the playoffs and they have no reason to fire him. But I think they're going to do it either way, guys. I think the first five-game losing streak that team has Close done. What are your thoughts on Bruce Cassidy? I know Jason just said that. Bruce Cassidy, obviously, he's been the coach of Providence for a few years now. What are your thoughts on Cassidy? He's an assistant coach at best to me. Good guy. Like him. Yeah, he's a good hockey guy. I, I just I don't think he's a head coach. I don't think he's the answer for this team. I think, like, the things they're doing with the roster, he's a Band-Aid. That's what I think. Also, uh, you also had a report uh, – I think it was today or earlier this week, I forget when it was, that you said that the Bruins are pretty much going to part ways with Louis Erickson. They're going to trade his contract to a team before the draft, pretty much what they did last year with Carl Soderberg. Do you think it was a mistake to not trade Louis Erickson at the deadline, or do you think it was okay to keep him? I think mistake's an understatement. I don't know the word. I, I you know, I'm going to have to pull out the thesaurus here. Uh, <laughs> I can't find it right now, guys, but if you can think of a superlative for a mistake, that's what it was. Uh, the fact that they had Kevin Shattenkirk on the table there uh, and, and continued to ask for more and, and then wouldn't take back a little salary for St. Louis to make the deal happen, it, it just complete failure to me. Um, they had some other options out there as well. I think they should have done whatever they could uh, to get better assets back than what they'll get now and what they'll get now is most likely at best a third round pick if that if anything i mean you knows if they'll be able to trade his rights i don't know that that seems to be the plan from everything i'm hearing right now is that they're going to do their best to trade his rights and i don't think they're going to get more than a third round pick and if they fail to trade his rights then they get nothing do you have any insight on who that contract was from st louis um i don't have a definite answer on that i suspect it was a Laterra or maybe a Berglund. Um, it was definitely somebody with a lot of term left. And Laterra, if you look at their contracts that they have right now, probably fits the criteria there. It was somebody making in the range of 
you know, 3.5 to 5.5 a year, and, and he pretty much fits that bill. So I would suspect, that's just my suspicion, I have no proof of that, but I think it was Leterre. In free agency, which teams do you think will make a run at Louis Erickson? Oh, I think it's, it, the list is growing day by day, guys. I mean, I, I think from the get-go, St. Louis obviously was very interested, interested in them. Excuse me, and now that they don't have to give up anything to get him, I'm sure they're going to be yeah, a tackle list. Absolutely. Uh, the, the Red Wings are interested in him. I know that. The Vancouver Canucks are very interested in him. Uh, the New Jersey Devils uh, are very interested in him, which surprises me because he doesn't seem to fit the direction they're going in. But he is a versatile player, veteran experience, uh, knows how to play both ends of the ice, and that's something they're trying to preach there to their younger kids. So maybe he can set an example. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Uh, the New York Rangers are definitely in the mix as well if they are able to move some salary around and depending on what they do uh, with their defense in terms of maybe bringing Keith Yandel back. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts, but those are the teams I'd look at right now in terms of Louis Erickson. Once again, we're joined by uh, Jimmy Murphy of Dirty Water Sports. Uh, Jimmy, I want to ask you, I know you had a report earlier that said that the Red Wings are obviously pretty active in trying to trade Pavel Datsuk's contract. Datsuk obviously wants to be back in Russia, close to his family. And you had a report that Arizona was interested. Obviously, Arizona would need some of that contract to go towards their cap because Arizona is pretty low on the cap. And uh, I heard that you said that they were going to have to try to sweeten the deal to get Datsuk off their books. Yeah. Um, basically, what I'm hearing right now is that if both Carolina and Arizona were willing to take on this contract. Uh, but because of the bad blood between – uh, Carmanos and Mike Illick, uh, if, you, if you know anything about Carmanos, I mean, his, his businesses are rooted in Detroit. That's where he's made, made his, all his money, uh, you know, there with CompuWare. Um, there's some bad blood between the two owners there, so that's likely not going to happen. They likely won't be trade partners when it comes down to this. Uh, but Arizona is, is somebody that is definitely willing to do it. And basically what I'm hearing is that uh, Palkinen or, or possibly Yurko um, and a second round pick would go along with Datsuk. Um, oh, wow. And, and a roster player, um, probably, you know, a third or fourth line, would go back to um, Detroit. Um, but they're saying, look, if we're going to take this contract on for you, we want something that's going to ha- help us a lot right now, and we want a pick as well. So, uh, you know, and you look at what just happened with Mark Savard. Um, you know, you're at least going to have to give up. You're at least going to have to send a second-round pick with these guys that you're just trying to shed some roster that aren't playing for you, uh, shed some roster cap space. You're going to have to put a second-round pick in there at least. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that. But Arizona is definitely talking to Detroit Red Wings about taking on the contract of uh, Pavel Datsuk. Do you think Datsuk's really going back to Russia, or do you think he'll stay? I mean, there's been speculation that he's thinking about staying still. I think he's gone. I think he's going back. Uh, just before I let you go, Jimmy, I want to ask you, uh, what do you think about Steven Stamkos? Obviously, uh, he's both of his free agency. Obviously, Tampa obviously wants to keep him. But are you? Uh, what are you hearing about anything about Steven Stamkos? Um, I'm just hearing pretty much the same as you guys. Nothing substantial. Um, talk to some people uh, in Florida. They, they're not going to be in it uh, for him, even though, you know, they could utilize the fact that he wouldn't have to change his tax situation if he went and signed with them, right, because of the Florida uh, right, tax situation right, yeah. that the players love. So they kind of had an upper edge there. So that's why I kind of inquired with some sources there and said, look, you got, 
you're going to have to stand close. It just makes too much sense to me. And they're like, nah, yeah. we got to lock up. We got to lock up our guys. So they're, they're more focused on locking up Ekblad and Bukstad and Huberto right now. And then they're going to go out and bring in a, a, a one or two, another one or two defensemen, top tier guys. Uh, and, and that's the problem the Bruins have too, is when teams like that are out covering the same players as you, They've got way more prospects and way more young talent to offer. Yeah, Edmonton, uh, too, with Nugent Hopkins defensive. and Colorado with Duchesne. I heard that they've been putting those things out, Nugent Hopkins and Duchesne. You know what I'm so saying? I thought... It's like, uh, I, I just think the problem is, I think the best way for the Bruins, and this is why I think we're in for another potential no-playoff season here in Boston, I think the best way for the Bruins to get these guys is at a deadline as opposed to the draft. Just because I think at the deadline you can kind of make – teams make silly moves if they if they're blinded and they really think they have a chance at the cup and i think that's when sometimes you can make teams trade these guys away for a lesser package than maybe they can get at the draft so the bruins are in some big trouble when it comes to competition in terms of getting that defenseman and the florida panthers are going to be right there doing it with them and guys the florida panthers to me are a team we need to watch very carefully because this is a team that is turning into a major contender. And, oh, by the way, they're in the Atlantic Division, the same one as the Bruins. Yeah, Florida's been very impressive as a young team, especially with Yarmir Yager and that veteran leadership. So I agree with you for the fact that we need to watch out for Florida. Along with, and I wanted to ask you this, what was your opinion on the way Tampa Bay played in the playoffs, losing Steven Stamkos and Ben Bishop and still making it as far as they did? Uh, I, I thought it was great. I think that, that spoke a lot. Uh, I, I, keep, I keep going back to it, right, guys? Scouting. And we saw the depth that that team has within the organization. And they're able to, you know, have that goalie, Vasilevsky, come in. They're able to have a lot of their second-tier players that probably aren't ready to be, you know, top six forwards or top four defensemen. But they played that way in the playoffs. They did it. And, uh, uh, guys, I want you guys watching right now. The, uh, the pregame here for the Sharks and the Blackhawks. I am not. Well, it's pretty cool. All the players get number nine on New Jersey. Oh, that's awesome. That is great. That's absolutely incredible. That's pretty cool. I'm glad the uh, league let them do that. No, it's, you know, it's, it's incredible. You know, what a great way to honor Gordy Howe. He deserves oh, it. And, you know, me. excuse me, guys. I apologize. No, they had just one guy was wearing it. My apologies. That's all right. It's still great. They even yeah. one guy's wearing it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, um, you know, I, I think it comes down to scouting, and I, I just think it shows you how deep an organization the Tampa Bay Lightning are. And that's – I don't want to say they can afford to lose Steven Stamkos, but they're going to survive. You know what I mean? They might not survive at the ticket gate, but they're going to survive as an organization, and they're going to continue to succeed and be a contender in the Eastern Conference because they have drafted so well, because they have traded so well, and because they have signed so well. So I, I think that's what we saw in full display with their run to the conference finals. Obviously, Jimmy, yeah, obviously, Jimmy you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go after this question. I know you, you want to get watched to the cup finals, game six, obviously it's a big game. Uh, I want to know if you have any insight on the Bruins, if they're going to re-sign Tory Krug and re-sign Brad Marchand before we let you go. If you have any insight on that, I know obviously Don Sweeney has said he wants to re-sign Krug. Marchand's contract is up next year. Obviously, Marchand had a breakout season this year. He's on Team Canada for the World Cup. Do you know what the Bruins' plans are for Tory Krug and Brad Marchand? Yes. Yes and yes to your questions. They're going to sign both. That's their goals, to sign both of those guys. Um, and that's another thing that people aren't factoring in when it comes down to 
you know, why couldn't they keep Louis Erickson or why shouldn't they keep Louis Erickson or why can't they get this guy? Why can't they get – that's another reason the Bruins are going to have a lot of trouble going out and getting these defensemen we're saying they need. They've got to deal with those guys, and I don't blame them. I mean, I, I think that should be a priority to sign Marshan and Krug. I think Krug really stepped it up this season in a tough season, uh, you know, a season that had a lot of negatives around it. I thought he emerged as a real key leader for that team. Um, he, he really played well. I think if not for his injury and his surgery, he'd be on Team USA for the World Cup. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a necessity and a priority to, to sign him. And I think what Brad Marchand did um, obviously goes without saying. He's, he's earned whatever contract he wants uh, for the Boston Bruins. And, you know, I've been very critical of Brad Marchand throughout his career, uh, mainly because I saw so much in him. I saw everything he could become. I, I really believed in him as a player, uh, but he just frustrated me a lot with his, his antics and his selfishness uh, with the penalties he would take. Uh, and just it seemed to be more about him than the team. That changed to me this year, and I think a pivotal moment was the Winter Classic when he found himself suspended for that, and he wasn't there to be able to help his team. I, oh, I, I ripped, I ripped really, him for that. I ripped him for that. Yeah, that you know, I, well, and you know what? To his credit, he stood up and faced the blame. He, he faced the music there, and, and he earned a lot of respect from me, I'll tell you that, and uh, I, I think that he's a necessity to sign for this team. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the show, Jimmy. I appreciate that. Hey, guys, anytime, man. Enjoy the games. And uh, Sharks and seven, guys. That's my hey, I, Absolutely, hey, Jimmy. I, I've been on the same boat as you, Jimmy. I keep saying Sharks and seven. I think the Sharks have – I think they found something last game with Martin Jones. I think, I think the Sharks have it in them to go seven. All right. Sounds good, guys. Have a good one. All right. You, you too. Thank, thank you. you. No problem, man. Cheers. See ya. That was – Jimmy Murphy of Dirty Water Sports. He used to cover the Bruins for ESPN Boston. Obviously, he gave some great insight there. He has some great sources. Jason, wow, that was great. He, he gave some great insight. That was incredible. That was What a great way for, to have our first guest on the show for, in Jimmy Murphy. And what a great interview. I was not, I was not expecting that. I got a, definitely a lot of changed perspectives from that. So Absolutely. He definitely gave some great insight there about Claude Julian, about Tukaras. Even Chris Kelly, you know, he had some great, great insight. He, obviously, he's... He's pretty well known, so he talks to a lot of guys. He talks to a lot of scouts and talks to a lot of guys. And I agree with him. The Atlantic Division looks pretty tough next year. And you and I talked about that before. The Atlantic Division, everyone's only going to get better. Tampa Bay, Florida, even uh, Buffalo and Toronto. It's going to be tough for the Bruins to get back there. And as you and I said, next year looks. We don't know what Don Tweedy's plan is. It's going to be a tough year for the Bruins, I think, next year as well. No, absolutely. And Mike, as we conclude the show, do you want to make another couple of announcements, like the fact that we're going to build their show even more? Of course. Let's announce the fact that we're bringing on Kevin Maggio as a new full-time host starting next week. Yep, Kevin Maggio, he uh, covers the Bruins, obviously, with us. He does the prospects report. Kevin brings uh, great insight. He's going to bring great insight to the show. He's been in the Bruins locker room, uh, obviously, scouts the prospects pretty well. I mean, it's, it's going to be a great addition to the show. Obviously, everyone's been used to Jason and I doing these shows. I mean, Jason have a great time with the show, just me and Jason. But I feel like bringing on a third voice will help enhance our show even more. I have one more announcement, Mike, and you don't know about this one. It's going to be a surprise to you. Oh, here we go, Jason. Get my, get... Nick, sent, Nick sent me an email today with another guest, and we're going to try to get him on for next week. I've been, I've been working this over the course of today. His name's Joe Gill. He's a, guy, he's a part of Big Bad Brewer Nation on Facebook. He's got over 46,000 listeners. Well, fo- well, followers on his Facebook page, and I've been in discussions with him today, so I'm going to try to get him on next week as well. Awesome, Jason. That's good. That's good stuff. So as you can see, our show is growing here. Obviously, we love talking 
and Bruins. We love talking to NHL. We hope everyone enjoys Game 6. That will conclude our episode of Bruins Beat for this week. Don't forget to go to CONSRadio.com for all Bruins and Red Sox. All Boston sports stuff is on CONSRadio.com. Don't forget you can follow Jason and I on Twitter at MikeSetter22, at JasonBuffy91. You can also follow our Bruins Beat Twitter at Bruins underscore Beat. Don't forget to like us and follow us on Facebook as well. And uh, you can also find us on iTunes, right, Jason? Yes, you can find us on iTunes at Boston Bruins Beat Podcast. And like I said, before we conclude the show, I want to say thank you to Jimmy Murphy again. We will absolutely hopefully have him on the show again at least a couple of times. And it was, like I said, it was a great interview. I'm really excited about this. I'm excited with the direction, the direction the show is headed. It's been a great show today. And what a what a lot of the amount of respect I have for Jimmy Murphy and the insight he has. What a great interview today. Like I said, we were joined by Jimmy Murphy of Dirty Water Sports. Jimmy's obviously a great guy. You can follow him on Twitter at Murphy's Law. He has great insight. He has good, good knowledge about the NHL game. And this show is going to continue to expand. So... I appreciate everyone listening. Hope everyone turns in next week. We will talk to you next week. Go Bruins. Go Bruins.